0: This is Ed Asner, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast.
1: Well, we have one of those new talking machines. Now that is something. It plays music right here in our home. Progress is something we can't take for granted. Progress takes a lot of people wanting it and willing to
0: work for it. You are listening to The Great Big
2: Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show...
1: Unfortunately, there are more people waiting for organs now than when I wrote coma 40 years ago. And uh, I, I wrote coma in hopes of changing that circumstance to get people more interested in the issue. So the issue hasn't changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. There's more people waiting today than there were then. So it's going to be a monumental issue to solve, and I believe that CRISPR-Cas9 is going to solve that.
0: Here are your hosts,
1: Jamie Green and Anthony Cars.
2: Welcome back to another episode of the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com. You can find us at all those social type places at thegbbpodcast. You can, I'm not sure where you downloaded us from this week, but you can find us wherever you find podcasts. So iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, um, YouTube, uh, I don't know, all those places. So, gentlemen, hello. I've got two lovely guests this week. So, introduce yourselves, say hello.
0: Hey, I'm uh, Anthony Cars of Roarbots
2: and Forbes and and so many things. I've I've lost count. Um, mm-hmm. How you nice. doing, Jamie? I'm excellent. Thanks for coming back.
0: And I'm Kishore, uh second time, long time. Uh, so I'm great. <laughs> I'm grateful to be back. Uh, I I work at a site called Tested.com, and oh, just just uh, awesome a little site called Tested.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but you've also got your own podcast, though, right? Plug it.
0: Yeah, I have a science podcast called Inquiring Minds, where we interview a scientist every week and have long form discussions about uh, science in the context of what's happening in society, which is a perfect segue to this week's conversation.
2: It is a perfect segue. This week, I had the pleasure of talking to Robin Cook, who, if you know him, you know of his books. He is uh, commonly, I guess, referred to as the medical thriller guy, but uh, he kind of broke onto the scene... Bunch of years ago with Coma, uh, and if you if you know of Robin Cook only tangentially, you probably know of him because of Coma. But he has written many, many, many other books. And his most recent book that's out now is called Pandemic, uh, and he has this uncanny ability of writing books that are very fortuitously timed in their release because they're it's almost like Law and Order, like ripped from the headlines kind of stuff. Because Pandemic is at its core about genetic modification, CRISPR technology, genetic editing, gene editing basically, and the unintended consequences of doing this type of work because you can without really understanding what the ramifications are going to be. And his book is fiction, but it happened to come out within weeks of this actually happening in the real world. But before we get into that conversation, I wanted to have Anthony and Kishore here because we're going to be talking. I wanted to just sort of give a quick and dirty background on what CRISPR Cas9 is. Uh, and then we can talk about what actually happened in the real world to make this so timely. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Kishore because you probably, you're the brainy one here.
0: Uh, I will take that moniker. Uh, I will say, though, <laughs> that ripped from the scientific headlines is less sexy than ripped from the headlines. So Right. That, that's why I, I said it that way. <laughs> uh, CRISPR is this technology that people have probably heard in pop culture or in the news generally. Uh, but it's important to recognize that technology is only about six years old. That was when the first scientific paper about CRISPR-Cas9 came out. And what happened was like about 30 years ago, soil ecologists were studying some bacteria and they noticed some weird patterns in, uh, in the DNA of the bacteria they were studying and these viruses called bacteriophages that were designed to hunt and kill that bacteria. Uh, and, the the pattern they saw was basically they saw a pattern in the DNA that was basically the inverse of the pattern, uh, uh Uh, the inverse pattern in the bacteria was showing up in the, uh, was coming from the virus, meaning like somehow the bacteria copied what the DNA and the virus was all about. Mm -hmm. And essentially what they sort of figured out over time was that the bacteria when it was first being invaded by a virus before it died, as it's sort of last act before death would copy some of the virus DNA into its own DNA basically so that future bacteria would then know that this virus was an invading mechanism they essentially said we're going to mark ourselves with information about who this invader is as almost an early detection system that that thing is bad Mm -hmm. Uh, which is this weird way of doing things it's sort of like uh, identifying like an invader in your home, uh, coming into your home and like chopping off a piece of them and putting them inside you, uh, so that you can recognize them in the future. Let's just acknowledge how weird that is.
2: That's a very strange metaphor, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I like to take a picture of invaders
0: and and then put them on my face and say, this is you, you're invading,
2: you're bad. <laughs> That's not going to work though. Yeah. I'm not
0: going to win any prizes for that analogy, but (laughs) well, I mean, literally it's like snipping off a piece. Um, so anyways, uh, so the bacterias develop, developed this defense mechanism, uh, and they've evolved it over millions of years. And we just sort of figured out that it exists. Well, then scientists studying sort of like, you know, mammalian cells, like, you know, animal cells and human cells, they, they kind of figured out, Hey, could we apply this same technique of basically uh, copying pieces of the DNA of the invader and using a special enzyme called Cas9 that is designed to cut DNA to essentially create a, a cut and paste uh, type uh, process within, the, uh, within our own DNA? Meaning, can we basically uh, come up with a string of letters uh, of, the, uh, of your DNA Uh, use it as a template, uh, then basically go searching for those letters in our own DNA, uh, find it, and then use Cas9, which is this enzyme uh, that has the ability to sort of cut open DNA, to like make a cut right there, uh, and then sort of repair it back together uh, so that we can sort of take out letters we don't want and put in letters we do want. Uh, It's sort of like if you imagine you have like a 20,000-page Word document with like millions of words in it, lots of letters, Uh, basically somebody giving you a string to search and replace for uh, Mm -hmm. and finding that string of letters in that huge manuscript, highlighting it and cutting it out. That's what the CRISPR-Cas9 system lets you
2: do. And as anybody who has actually done that copy, replace all in a large document, there are always unintended ripple effects. Like, yeah. It's never as easy as you want. So one of the things that I've heard repeatedly with CRISPR-Cas9, this technology, is that the potential, the scientific and medical and the potential, the, the ramifications for for healthcare, like it's phenomenal. Like the, the, there are so many goods that can come out of this. But the flip side of that is like in the same breath, every time you hear that, it's always like presented as this very real danger.
0: Yeah. I mean, zooming out because it's so new, we kind of don't know much about the technology yet. We don't know it's long-term ramifications because it is still being tested in a lot of ways. So one of the big things is that, okay, let's just say it works. We, we're going to gloss over what you said, which is totally true, that you know, anytime you're trying to highlight text in a Word document, you know you're going to go over by a letter or under by yeah. a letter. And that's a, a fundamental problem with this technology. So let's say we get past this and we can do it perfectly. Well, we have a problem. Let's say, um, Anthony, I can edit out a piece of your DNA that codes for the eye color you have. Um, awesome. I can do that. I can target it. I can cut it out. I can change your eye color from from blue to brown, which is weird, right? (laughs) I mean, that's weird unto itself. But at least that only affects you, Anthony. Now, what if I did that to your sperm or if I do that to an embryo? Uh, Now, that trait of taking out the fact that that cell would never have uh, the ability to, to code for a blue eye or a brown eye, that would be passed down generation to generation. That difference is really the, the crux of some of the ethical concerns about CRISPR. Is It's one thing to do it in cells that just live within uh, one generation, you and I, and it just sits there and it never goes anywhere. It's another thing when you edit something and it gets passed down generation to generation because we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. So there's no such thing as, uh, as what we'd call
2: consent in this situation. So those ethical concerns aside, though, I mean, taking that same example, do we know enough about the human genome to say that this code that codes for eye color only 100% codes for eye color and is not in any way related to anything else? No. Right. So we might think that like, oh, I'm going to change eye color or 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 whatever you're doing. But that could also be connected to like diabetes or something like that. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty unlikely that that's the case. But I mean, you're right there. We don't know the long term ramifications uh, of what these genes do over a long period of time.
2: So taking this from, you know, the scientific lab or the pages of a fiction novel to the real world, this actually just happened. Uh, so Chinese researcher, anybody listening has probably heard about him. He's been in the news. He Jiankui. He actually did this. So he, um, you know, forgetting, let, let's ignore the issues about whether his patients knew what he was doing because there's some cons- some. Uh, unknowns about that or whether he actually did this because he never was able to offer much evidence or proof. But what his claim was, was that he um, genetically modified a set of twins to eliminate their... What's the best way to say it? To to make them, I guess, quote unquote, immune to HIV?
0: I think that's an overstatement of what he did because there is um, a, a strange... A, a, a gene that we don't fully understand that seems to make HIV less, uh, have uh, less of an ability to invade certain cells. And for whatever reason that we don't understand, Asian populations don't have this gene variant uh, as much as other parts of the population across the globe. And so his justification is that. Uh, the parent of these twins, one of the parents was HIV positive. Mm -hmm. uh, And when they donated a sperm and egg for uh, IVF, so they essentially made this embryo uh, in a lab, um, they uh, said, he said this edit would make the kids immune from HIV in the future. That sort of ignores the fact that there's processes in place with IVF that already kind of, basically make it impossible for HIV to infect
2: those kids to begin with. Okay. So there was, so, there was no reason for him to have done it. There was no saying. reason.
0: Yeah. And, and to back up a second, scientists basically had an agreement around the world. They had a unwritten agreement to be cool. That's what I call it. They're all like, <laughs> hey, everyone, this technology is super rad. It's super cool. And let's all just be cool and not use it in any human tissue. Okay. Okay, everyone cool. Don't do it in embryos. We know it's going to cause a problem. And uh, this dude immediately, like, m- not more than a year and a half after that everyone be cool agreement. And literally, it was, it, it had no like meat to it. It was everyone be cool, yeah. no penalties, like, no countries signed on to this, that, nothing like that.
2: Yeah. It was was a gentleman's agreement, in quotes, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: So when he violated this, all these scientists came out and were like, how appalling and shocking. But I (laughs) I also found it a little like they also knew it was going to happen. Because you you don't make a everyone be cool agreement and not expect someone not to be cool. Someone to not be cool,
2: right. He he put a a timer on that email. It was like, all right, when that goes off in a year, I'm sure everybody will have forgotten.
0: Yeah, I, so I do want to say I think the reaction was sort of a little o- hand-wringy and overwrought by the scientists because this was going to happen.
2: Overwrought maybe by the scientists, but he is under house arrest, and now they're talking about potential death penalty as, I, uh, as a So the
0: death penalty uh, idea came from a British colleague of him who okay. has no information that that is actually happening. But it does appear, the New York Times did a story about a, a week and a half ago uh, that showed pictures of him in like a university owned apartment where he appears to be fully under house arrest. Well, I don't think the Chinese government was too happy about the, the kind of press attention that it's brought. And I will say this was the weirdest scientific announcement I've ever seen because usually when you have a big paper coming out, you have a big announcement and discovery you usually release a paper. You go to a scientific conference, you give a talk about it. Uh, He decided to release his findings on YouTube, which is not the typical way you talk about (laughs) that kind of stuff. And so that was all very weird. Um, Most scientists agree that he probably did this, but we don't have all the hard data to
2: confirm everything. Because he was supposed to have done that presentation where he was supposed to bring proof and evidence and he had nothing to show. Again, it was just, you need to believe me because I say that I did it
0: uh for the most part he did have a presentation at a scientific conference where he put up slides and uh, a lot of the scientists that were at that meeting that looked at the slides like said that like the data looks legit but no Mm -hmm. one's like really dug their hands into it because it's never been made available
2: what do you think do you think that he did it
0: i think he did it yeah for i mean based on the the scientists that um that commented on it. It looks mm-hmm. likely. It's probably not as clean, um, as perfect of a cut as he sort of indicated. There, yeah. uh, I think the real problem is what happens to those to those girls. They're yeah. alive. They and now they have this this you know genetic uh, change in them.
2: And, and what I've read, and you can correct me or, or, or explain it further, is that one of these unknown cut and paste errors that was introduced was that they might be. I guess, resistant to HIV, but they're much more susceptible susceptible to influenza and other diseases now because of that change.
0: It could be like, like, honestly, no one has uh, been given any medical access to the kids. And obviously, they should have every right to privacy. Sure. uh, Going forward. But without that, we can't uh, for sure confirm that what what he did and did not do at this point. So that's possible that they could be more susceptible to those diseases if he did what he said, but we're, we're still not sure. We just don't know. Uh, moreover, obviously they couldn't give consent to this, and the parents were yeah. um, who, you know, did this IVF treatment, even though they gave a form of consent, they couldn't consent to this. They're yeah. just parents that wanted to have a kid. yeah. Uh, and so I think that's the fundamental crux of everything around CRISPR, is that, is Um, While unintended consequences is a phrase that's used to make a lot of bad science fiction movies, I think um, here it's really relevant because the technology is really young and we have to be careful because uh, we don't want to make choices for people
2: uh, that they can't actually consent to so with this technology that you know has been heralded as this great you know world-changing technology if we can understand it and control it but there's still this understanding and this this quote-unquote gentleman's agreement to just let's be cool and not test it on people how do we get to the point where we can do that and we can unleash the potential of this technology
0: you know sadly that is a very human uh, endeavor. And that means convincing sets of scientists, nations, uh, big scientific institutions that the protocols you have in place, the way you're approaching this uh, is a sound design and you have a mindfulness about it. And that process is going to just take a lot of time. Uh, What we saw happen in China just came out of the blue. No one knew about it. I think what has to happen uh, is it, It is for it to be transparent. A lot of people to have input for it to go slowly. Uh, But it's going to happen. Like one thing I've sort of learned from covering science and technology over the years is like the science and tech is going to go where it wants to go. And uh, the question is, is how we react to it.
2: So basically we're living, I mean, this is the the scientific doom and gloom scenarios have become reality or have not, if not reality, have become not so science fiction-y anymore.
0: Yeah. And we're in a place where what society thinks about this uh, technology could have a real impact on it. What's sort of funny is like, CRISPR isn't something that's going to affect my day-to-day life. Like, I'm not in a position, I I don't think the three of us in our position where you know, we expect this technology to really have an impact on us individually or even our families. So it's hard to get people to care about something when it's not entirely relatable. Uh, And so weirdly, I think it's important for CRISPR to be talked about in stories, in pop culture. Um, You know, earlier this year, The Rock had a movie Rampage, which was, by the way, terrible. Uh, (laughs) But it featured CRISPR in it. And it was sort of the crux of how the monsters came to be. And while I think a lot of the, you know, the storylines that are being generated in pop culture around CRISPR are, you know, way beyond where the technology is, I think that's a foray into how to get people to think about this critically. Uh, and so I'm all for this uh, story being told, even if it's being told in fictional outlets, because we need to have this conversation yeah. uh,
2: by any means necessary. I agree. And, you know, between Rampage and uh, Robert Cook's pandemic, the stories that are being told, though, are about those unintended consequences. You know, they, they always end poorly. And I think, you know, it's great that the stories are being told and it's great that the technology is being put into, you know, out there for mass consumption. But what I would love to see are stories where this technology is used Ethically, you know, I mean, it's not. It doesn't maybe it doesn't make for as great of a story, but you know, techno where, where this is maybe commonplace, and this is, you know, we've learned how to control it, and we can use it for good, and that might get people to see the actual potential rather than just look. This technology creates scary monsters.
0: I look at it this way. Uh, I think you have to go through a process where people are exploring it and the fear is the natural one to explore. So we're in like the Morgan Freeman asteroids going to hit the earth part of this story now. Mm -hmm. And in a few years we'll get to the Matt Damon on Mars having a good story part of the story. Um, But we have to let the, the conversation happen. And yes, it's going to be dominated by the unintended consequences because that's where the conversation is scientifically now. Uh, when we start to see the the good stories emerge, like where this tackles rare diseases and actually helps people that it was designed to, like people that have hunting disease, disease or other rare genetic conditions, then I think we'll start to see the pop culture stories start to reflect that as well.
2: I'm looking forward to uh, Matt Damon playing both twins. <laughs> <laughs> that that's why you're here anthony thank you so much that was great insight <laughs> but i have to say that was a much better analogy the uh the morgan freeman versus matt damon's portion of the story i, I like that i was um, do
0: yeah
2: we, we'll get there we'll we will get there we're out, we could be happy matt damon's growing plants on mars um but until then we've got a we've got a suffer i guess i don't know if that's the right word we've got to make it through all of the scary stories and the real life stories where um you know scientists are just trying to push the envelope and maybe they do it in the wrong way and 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 their career is ruined but <laughs> we hopefully there won't be that many more stories like that but keep an eye on the news keep an eye on bookshelves um i think we're only going to be seeing more and more stories where this plays a central role anthony and kishore thank you guys so much for joining me this week Thank you. Thank you. This has been awesome. And thank you guys for listening, coming back week after week, hitting subscribe, listening to the conversations. Uh, Here in the new year, we've got a whole bunch of great episodes coming up. We've got actors, musicians, directors, authors, artists, all kinds of people. And I can't wait to bring them all to you. So stick along, stick along, come along for the ride and stick around. And uh, here is my conversation with Robin Cook. Take care I guess I want to start with... So, I mean, obviously, so many of your books are are timely and they're, you know, quote-unquote, ripped from the headlines. But how often do you read the news and just instantly think, oh, yeah, there's my next book right there?
1: <laughs> uh, quite often. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. and um, But I'm usually ahead of the curve a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know exactly how I manage that. For instance, uh, in pandemic, um, the, quote, villain uh, is Chinese. Mm-hmm. And that was not an accident. And um, I I knew that uh, some Chinese researchers were going to um, violate um, the ethics of this new CRISPR-Cas9 technology. And I, I, I just didn't know when it was going to happen. The fact that it happened like a week ago (laughs) it's very
2: fortuitous Uh,
1: i didn't have anything to do with that (laughs) but uh it it was not a surprise to me i i knew that it was going to happen yeah And, and uh for for many reasons um mainly um because uh china is very interested in biotechnology and um their culture and their philosophy is a little bit different from our uh, Western individual, importance of the individual um, kind of Kantian philosophy.
2: Yeah. Well, I was going to, I mean, I'm sure you've uh, been talking about this as part and parcel with the new book because it is so fortuitous, the timing. But I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Because I know that there is a lot of doubt about whether he really did it because he hasn't been able to show any evidence, have any proof, and he's been evasive about answering anything. Do you believe it? Do you think that he really did it?
1: Yes, I do. Yeah. Because it's, it's such, so easy to do. Yeah. And uh, the fact that someone was going to misuse it, because I think of it as, as misusing the power of this CRISPR-Cas9. But it's so easy. It's, uh, it just sort of begs to do it. Um, mm. One of my books that I wrote probably 20 years ago was called Mutation. And it essentially was about that issue. In other, in other words, someone deciding to alter the genetic makeup of uh, a zygoid in 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 vitro fertilization, so that the that the the child would have some change in in their ability. Um, and I chose intelligence. That this researcher, doctor, etc., wanted his child to be really really smart. So he altered the gene that determined how many how many um, uh, times the, the growing neurons in the child's brain divided. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he ended up, the child ended up with double the number of neurons as if I, uh, you know, I hypothesized sure. that, that would change intelligence. But anyway, it was that kind of idea. And, um, so it, it's something that I knew that people were going to want to do. And it kind of anticipated CRISPR Cas nine yeah. that would give that power to somebody, and the fact that they can do it, wow! And it, I knew it was going to happen.
2: Is there? I mean, does this just open the door to to, to who knows what at this point?
1: Um. Yes. Uh, yes, and no, and it depends upon the actual what happens because of this episode, uh, whether or not the Chinese government, which is acting like it's outraged, Mm -hmm. but whether it does anything. Mm -hmm. uh, That's two different things. You can say, oh, it really bothers us, he shouldn't have done it. But are you going to change the environment? Uh, There are not the same restrictions in China um, Mm -hmm. that there are here. We don't really have any specific restrictions on this CRISPR-Cas9, but it was pretty... um, universal with all those people who are who are responsible for developing it um, that that should not happen, not for a long time until more is known and some very specific reason to do it uh, perhaps maybe to alter uh, a zygoid that you know has like Tay-Sachs disease or mm-hmm. something like that to eliminate that disease but what this guy did was really there was no real benefit yeah. and 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 he has no idea what other mutations might have occurred um, because this CRISPR-Cas9 you knew the CRISPR portion is the portion of the molecule that has the information to to know where to go in other words to find a specific gene mm-hmm. and what it looks for is um, uh, 20 letters that have to be all in a, you know, the, the, the actual sequence of the letters have to be the same. So, and that's, that's how you make the CRISPR-Cas9. If you want to change a gene, you have to have the sequence so that you pick a 20-letter segment that will find that gene. Right. And, um, and then the Cas9 portion is the enzyme portion that then cuts, cuts it, cuts the, uh, the DNA molecule at that point. And, and then what else, else you put in the soup, whether it's you want to add something, you want to take something away or, or anything, that's, that's how it, it actually works.
2: Can you see this, I mean, even though there's a lot of controversy and people are up in arms and saying, you know, you're misusing the technology, you're mis- misusing the science, can you still see this claim as emboldening scientists and researchers and doctors in other countries and, and so it's it spreads and people, you know, start to do more.
1: Um, you know, I I, I don't know exactly yeah. whether it's going to encourage people or discourage people. Um, the fact of the matter is is that it's easy to use, it's cheap, and high school kids can do it in their garage. Yeah. Um, that's how easily it works, and you can change the genes in living cells if you pick, um, a fertilized egg, uh. And you change genes, that means you're adding that to the human genome, because that individual that's going to result um, will pass whatever it is that you've done to their progeny. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's the the big worry. Yeah, uh, you know, to use CRISPR-Cas9 responsibly, um, it's it, there's the opportunity to either treat people with genetic diseases or um, or there isn't, I mean, if you had a zygoid and there's, there's this couple, every time they produced a zygoid to, to have a child, it had the same problem, you know, if it's a, a dominant um, uh, a genetic disorder, you could use it to then fix that specific gene so mm-hmm. they, the child wouldn't have that illness. That will probably happen Yeah. at some point. Yeah. yeah. But uh, for what this guy did, you know, <laughs> it, the benefit is, is, is silly because he said, you know, to keep the kid, it changes one receptor protein on the surface of the cell. But what does that protein do otherwise in the cell? Nobody really knows. Right. You know, it's uh, and then and what they do know that it has something to do with transporting the HIV virus into the cell, but. By eliminating that, okay, maybe the HIV can't get in that cell.
2: What else but have you done? It
1: actually makes it yeah it makes it easier for West uh, Nile virus and influenza to get in the cell. Hmm. So you, know, you get some you lose some.
2: Yeah, the ripple effects that you can't even predict.
1: <laughs> and the, and the worst part actually is as I described before the twenty sequence twenty letter sequence that that guide finds. Where else did it find some similar twenty sequence in the genome, and what else, what happened out there? Mm-hmm. Did you know? Did they eliminate another gene? Uh, and yeah. What kind of response is that going to have? Yeah. Um, he didn't know.
2: Well, <laughs> well. I'm, so, pandemic. Your newest book is about is about this. It, it, it's a but it's also about the black market in human organs which is something that you also covered uh, in Coma way back when. How much It
1: is, indeed.
2: How much did you have to go down that rabbit hole for this book, and, and how has that world changed in 40 years?
1: Unfortunately, there are more people waiting for organs now than when I wrote Coma 40 years ago. Yeah, And uh, I, I wrote Coma in hopes of changing that circumstance to get people more interested in the issue and be more apt to... Um, you know, donate organs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, so it, it's, it. the issue hasn't changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. There's more people waiting today than there were then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and more people dying every day because of the lack of organs. They didn't have a chance to get um, a critical organ and, yeah. and they pass away. And um, so it, it's going to be, uh, a monumental issue to solve, and I, and I believe that CRISPR-Cas9 is going to solve that. And the reason I believe that is that in pandemic, the farm that I described with the animals and the pigs, mm-hmm. they exist. I know of two farms like that, just like I described, mm. who have done that to pigs and are doing that today. It's not science fiction. It's happening today. No one has transplanted uh, an organ into a human being yet. Right. But they've been transplanting pig organs into baboons and things like that.
2: Yeah. How far away from that do you think we are? Um,
1: I'd say within four or five years, something hmm. like that. Maybe even sooner.
2: That's amazing. So, but, I mean... Yeah, the- it's- the the black market you know that, that we hear you know you always hear these horror stories and whether or not they're true about people going to this you know quote unquote black market for organs so that that is a thing that actually exists because of the the the, the increased demand right yeah
1: yes and uh, you know in China um, organs are, are more plentiful they do more and but what they do there is uh, they, um, they 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 execute a lot of people and mm-hmm. they use the organs yeah we won't do that here
2: hopefully not <laughs> yeah um in, in popular culture it seems like we go through this cycle of of stories that are, are about these outbreaks or uncontrollable diseases or zombie plagues pandemics of some sort why do we keep coming back to that like why are we so fascinated with the apocalypse and just the end of everything
1: well it's it's a real worry <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's not something that people dream up in uh, just out of the blue. I mean, just look at the pandemic in 1918, 100 years ago, which I've sort of used in a way uh, in pandemic uh, in the sense that when I was a medical student, I heard stories. I heard the stories of people getting on the subway asymptomatic in Brooklyn. Um, They had already contracted the influenza, but they didn't have any symptoms yet. And so obviously they were seeding every time they breathed out, they were breathing out mm-hmm. the influenza and, but then um, developing symptoms and dying in the hour plus that it takes to get from the subway in Brooklyn to New York. And so that's why I decided to start the book the exactly the same way. Um, and why Jack Stapleton, my character is particularly worried about another pandemic because the rapidity of that death, meaning that this this contagion, whatever it was, um, it had an enormous caused the immune system to just to go a little crazy and um, and in a sense um, kill the, the person it's their own immune system that kills the kills in that what they call cytokine storm
2: yeah have you ever scared yourself with your own writing? Like, have you just written, you know, taken something and this is my topic, this is my plot. But then you, as you write, you're like, Whoa, this really could happen. This really could happen very quickly. And you just kind of well, spook yourself.
1: No, I use that, those fears for my, to dream up my story. Yeah. Rather than
0: <laughs>
1: oh yeah. I mean, I, 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 along with other people, infectious disease specialists, um, Particularly uh, there was four or five years ago there were two um strains of influenza that were uh, existed at the same time in a section of China and uh, one was extremely lethal. about ninety percent of the people that contracted it died. The other one was extremely contagious and um, and the fact that they were in the same province. Meant to me that the chances of it both ending up in the gut of a pig, because that's where the influenza, guts of pigs and guts of uh, particular types of birds like ducks, mm-hmm. is where influenza actually um, uh, exchanges their genetic information. They have a wonderful time in the, their, the <laughs> pigs and the duck guts. <laughs> and uh, that's where the new strains come from. Yeah. And. uh, I was just terrified if some pig got both strains in their gut and they exchanged information so that the strain came out that was as lethal as the lethal one and and spread as fast as the one that spread, then we'd have 1918 all over again.
2: Hypothetically speaking, let's say something like that did happen again, and and we had this massive outbreak, and you know people were going from asymptomatic to death within an hour or two, and you know it's, it feels like society was was crumbling. Do you think that we would be ready for that where we are right now?
1: Well, um, yes and no. I mean, it, there's been a lot of thought given to it. Uh, particularly in cities like New York. And uh, they had um, come up with very specific flu pandemic disaster plans. And um, I use that in, in pandemic um, because that disaster plan is actually um, set loose uh, when it shouldn't have been and shuts the entire city down. Because you you know to go from just normal day and then suddenly get to a point where you're seeing 300 to 500 deaths per day in New York, mm-hmm. um, that would that would overwhelm the system unless there's sure. planning in place. Um, they they have a, a, a you know they they've had drills. They have um, fleets of these refrigerated um, uh, trailer trucks. Um, that would be uh, mobilized and every hospital would get one so that they would be putting their dead, stacking the dead like firewood mm-hmm. in these refrigerated trucks. Um, and uh, and that exists
2: so, still today. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. You
2: know? um, I mean, when we're talking about pandemic, we're talking about genetic editing gone horribly wrong. And, you know, you, a lot of your other books are about various other threats posed by medical issues or health public health topics but if if you were being honest and you're from your perspective what is the greatest threat facing humanity in 2018
1: um well <laughs> it's uh, kind of a loaded I question nuclear, <laughs> I, I think nuclear war is yeah coming back to be really uh, a real possibility um uh, although I do think that uh, a pandemic of some sort uh, is a definite possibility, whether it's going to be um, a natural or an unnatural uh, origin, um, because that's another thing that the um, this CRISPR-Cas9 can do is that you could you could probably at this point actually make a new virus. Um, and you could use uh, smallpox as a kind of uh, a recipe. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they've actually had circumstances where they've created an entire genome of a new, a new um, bacteria or virus.
2: It's terrifying. I mean, it's just thinking, <laughs> thinking about what could happen and what somebody could do, you know, and it's a lot of the science fiction... Is no longer science fiction. It's science. Yep,
1: yeah, yeah. And as I say, with with pandemic, it's not science fiction. Yeah, that's going on exactly as I describe is going on, and it's interesting. In pandemic, the problem comes from not that the system or the uh, what they were doing was wrong, is it actually came from a sabotage, um, and what I suggest is that what they've done would work. Very well, as I believe it will. Um, but the the reason it doesn't is because of uh, a rogue uh, element um, that actually made it so that it, it didn't work. Yeah. And uh, and those those pervs, uh, you know the the porcine um, retroviruses are very real, and the two people or the two farms uh, say that they have eliminated those retroviruses in the pig but have they mm-hmm. and who's going to tell and you know is is that re- so that's where i got the realistic aspect
2: yeah i mean looking back over your career and the many many books that you've written uh, how many or, or or any you know have have you written that you thought were just oh this is so far fetched this is so science fictiony but you know it, i could see it happening but it's science fiction how many of those have since come true and or, or become normal
1: uh unfortunately just about every book i've written has <laughs> <kind of> <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, if that's good or bad <laughs> than, some take longer than others yeah um i think my let's see uh you think turned in coma sphinx brain. Fever. Fever was my fifth book. And in my fifth book, and this is like, okay, nineteen eighty two or something like that, or mm-hmm. eighty three, the book the idea was that small molecule was not the source of cure for cancer. In other words, all the you know, the work that was going on for chemotherapy and stuff was never gonna cure cancer. Mm-hmm. Um And in fact, in my book, the the cure for cancer came from uh, uh, an immunologist using immunology. And um, it wasn't until last year that the medical professions actually said, all right, now we've figured out the cure for cancer is going to be immunology.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So we took...
2: (laughs) They could have just read your book 30 years ago.
1: (laughs) I know. In fact, I sent it to a couple of these researchers who made that... (laughs) <laughs> and they wrote back, you know, and they actually read it. They, yeah, my God, you—you you, you were right.
2: <laughs> you could have saved us so much trouble and millions of dollars.
1: <laughs> and uh, but you know, it—it doesn't—it doesn't. It doesn't it, when you have access to the material, so to speak, like I do, um, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist. I mean, I—I I know that's a cliche, but mm-hmm. um, to realize, in a certain sense. What's going to happen? I mean, when I heard about CRISPR-Cas9 back in 2012 and 2013-14, uh, I I, I, immediately thought that, gosh, I wrote Mutation, which I had written a number of years ago. Essentially, it was anticipated CRISPR-Cas9. Yeah. But then it wasn't until I got invited to a CRISPR-Cas9 international conference um, that I learned more about the specifics and realized it was something that I should, it's, it's really going to make a big mark and it's something I should use in one of my books mm-hmm. uh, because it's, people should know what's going on. And that And That's really why I started writing books in the first place. place—is to use entertainment to get people to understand biotechnology and or medical, medical issues um, that could affect them mm-hmm. or make it possible for them to, be a responsible citizen, uh, that hasn't happened. That, I mean, you know, to vote for people who, you know, the healthcare circumstance. Yeah. I mean, some of the, the ignorance that is expressed by our politicians is so enormous. Um, I mean, Trump has no idea about medical care. Absolutely not. You
2: could have finished that (laughs) sentence halfway through and it still would have been accurate. I mean, no idea, period. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but for him to be messing around with executive orders, uh, you know, about Obamacare, uh, and it's only because it had the name Obama. Yeah, that's it. That's why he doesn't like it. Yeah. And also those, the other Republicans who are against it, Um, they're against it because Obama gets the credit for it. Mm -hmm. And they said it should be replaced with something better. The idea, the strange thing is that Obamacare is actually a Republican idea. That's where it came from. It came from Republican conservative think tanks. Mm -hmm. Is Instead of passing another huge entitlement program, meaning Medicare for all, Let's use private insurance to solve the problem and get everybody to get health insurance. So it's a Republican idea that Mitt Romney is a Republican instituted in Massachusetts. And then Obama realizing politically there's no way that Medicare for All can pass. So let's do something and let's use this Republican idea. So
2: It just had the misfortune of carrying his name.
1: Yeah. And then all these Republicans voice, you know, it's terrible and this that and it's Republican. And you know, every time I hear one of these guys talking on the television at night, I just want to reach in and grab (laughs) him by the throat, you know, and say, you know, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, well, uh, anyway,
2: yeah, no, I mean, along those lines, with people who don't really know what they're talking about but still espousing beliefs, and this this kind of ties into pandemic because it, it does play a role. What is your personal message to people who still doubt vaccines?
1: Well, it, it's just as Jack. I, I feel exactly the same way as Jack, which is the reason I put it in there. <laughs> um, uh, vaccines have been one of the the pivotal points of of of, of medical research and. Uh, and, and I would say that vaccines have saved more lives than antibiotics. Hmm. Um, and it's so much better to prevent disease than it is to, and treat. to treat it. yeah <laughs> yeah
2: no, here
0: and,
1: and vaccinations prevent disease and uh, and why we have this cadre of conspiracists in this country, I really don't understand. Um, who want to jump on anything and are immediately think that uh, there's some dark web that's doing whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, and and then if something actually happened, what happened in vaccination is that there was an article that was published by an irresponsible physician in a in a supposedly responsible journal that talked about um the association of autism and particularly the MMR
2: mm-hmm. vaccine
1: in children and um which ultimately got completely debunked and the the journal you know uh, red faced and uh, and completely retracted it and um and yet it's still around yeah and that's why i put it in pandemic you know the um the the, the mother-in-law of Jack's mother-in-law uh, still believes it. Yeah. And so I use it as a way of of getting the because everybody reading um, pandemic and they know Jack, they respect Jack. Yeah. So I was using him as a bully
2: pulpit. Good for you. And, I mean, there are still people who think that the world is flat, so people will believe anything.
1: Yeah. Or or Curry just said that uh, yep. we never we never landed,
2: landed on the moon. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. I, I I know we've run out of time and you've got to go. I, one last question quickly, I guess. How do you see medicine and public health changing over the next generation?
1: I'm hoping that we get a public policy, I mean, a public plan of some sort. And uh, we have to go to that direction. Um Medicine can't be the big business that it is. It, that, it, it's, it's a calling. It's, it's taking care of people. It's not making money for people.
2: This has been The Great, Big, Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com and on Twitter and Facebook at thegbbpodcast. Thanks again for subscribing and listening. We really do appreciate it. And until next week, I am Jamie Green, and you can find me at The RoarBots. Take care.